Thank you very much for that kind introduction. And thank you all very much for the opportunity to share a few thoughts with you on the topic of organizational development in the information age. Now, I know that the one no-no for presenting a presentation like this is to start with an apology. Unfortunately, I have to, because in the discussions we had before we sat down for dinner, uh, I realized that some of you still remember me from the previous time when uh, I made the presentation on the KWV and the wine industry and all those nice things. And tonight I chose a fairly boring subject, so I'm not going to talk about wine and uh, about those nice things in life. But I hope to touch upon a few social uh, implications of organizational life in the current situation and in the future uh, based upon the fact that I assume that we will continue to work and live in this environment of information-based decision-making for quite a period of time to come. So, tonight, in everything I'm going to say, my objective will be to convince you, listening to me, that developing and maintaining a business organization is quite similar to the engineering work that you do when you develop a complex system and you maintain and operate that system. Because I firmly believe that the organization is a very complex system and that businesses live and operate in a changing environment, mostly driven by technology, the changes, and businesses have to, in real time, adapt and live with the consequences of the changes that technology brings about. This, of course, demands more agility in response to market requirements. In its turn, ask for people in the loop while you are developing your solutions to the market and it gives businesses some attributes of a living organism rather than an organizational structure and uh, if you those of you who've read the, the writings of Eugene Marais could compare that to his view of what the termites in a termite nest would operate like, I see much of that similarity today in the organizations that work in this environment. Now, I started off by saying that I think everything is mainly technology driven. And to understand what that means, I think it's important to just understand the impact of technology on society from ancient times to today. Originally it started as 
periods where some development had impact on society and we know those as periods of civilizations. Chinese civilization, Egyptian civilization, Greek Roman civilization, where development of technology, the ability to read, to write, to count, to calculate, had an impact on society. Those impacts were fairly small and they were stretched out over long periods of time and they were not really sustainable. In time they deteriorated and they vanished, probably not always to zero to where they were before the civilization happened, but basically to much less than what it was at the peak of, uh, of that civilization. Today, living in an era where the period of the Renaissance dramatically changed that interaction of technology with society to the extent that the impact was much higher, the duration of the development became small, shorter and shorter, and the frequency of the happenings was much more rapid. So that we no longer call those civilizations, we call it actually revolutions. And we all lived through two centuries of the Industrial Revolution, which is behind us now. It has been superseded by the Information Revolution and we do not really distinguish between the individual events anymore. But what I can tell you is that the effect on society is in fact exponential. And because this is a positive feedback loop that we're in, I believe it's going to continue. The more technology you develop and you have at your disposal, the easier it becomes for you to develop more technology and to apply that differently. And for that reason, we are not living in individual revolutionary times anymore. We are living in a continuous exponential growth and revolutionary environment. So, the information revolution overtook, superseded, and buried the industrial revolution. And for businesses, this reality demands that we have to unlearn many of the policies and the standard procedures embedded in our operations through the previous two centuries. In trying to understand the environment by building some kind of a model, it is helpful to think in terms of those rigid facts on the one hand and on assumptions and not well proven information on the other end. I like to distinguish between the two in terms of physical laws and algorithms, those things that you can really depend on to hold within the boundaries of the control volumes in which you develop them, 
And on the other side, the legalities and, and the paradigms. Those things that were in, in, in the case of the physical truths, where you can mathematically explain a specific law and you can string those mathematical expressions together to form an algorithm that will put you in a position where you can use that to predict the outcome of processes to very, very high levels of accuracy. Whereas in the case of legalities and paradigms, it's different. Those are accounts of experiences and observations of repetitive outcomes which links the cause and effect without necessarily understanding the underlying process and processes and the standards applied in achieving those results. One such, a paradigm is form once such a paradigm is formulated, it provides the space for more accurate analysis and eventually legalities that serve the purpose of forecasting to useful levels of accuracy. Examples of these legalities, political laws that countries make, those are legalities. Those are not things that you can put mathematical equations to and build an algorithm. But because they are useful and mostly necessary for orderly societal dynamics, we use them. One can only stand in awe at the number of these types of legalities and uh, algorithms that we need to structure our societies. On the economic space, they use the same. Although in certain instances, economic legalities could be more definitive and sometimes even mathematically expressed much better than political legalities. Take for instance uh, Adam Smith's demand and supply equation regulated by the price. Now you can, through a lot of observation, build a stochastic model mathematically to prove that it works. I must interrupt myself and say that I'm hesitant to give the economists all that credit because although they have these legalities, they still need two hands to explain the outcome of everything that uh, they predict. The management gurus, the writers and the analysts of management systems worked very hard to define these legalities and these paradigms in the industrial area. And to my mind today, it is often dangerous to just accept those legalities that were valid in the previous era and try to apply it as it was in the environment and in the society that we live today. Let me explain. 
I said that in the information era, the solutions that we offer into the market is very much dependent on people in the loop because the solutions that we offer often are services displacing product. And to continue to deliver a complete solution to the customer, you often have to deliver a person in the loop at the customer site or at least in the company to continuously interact with the solution that you delivered. Products are manufactured, if you will, therefore in hardware and in software and in firmware and in wetware. And that constitutes the tools, the modules that uh, we have to apply to actually satisfy customers' requirements. This is where one of the requirements of the information age-based company start to run into problems with standards that applied in the previous era. Because in the previous era, if you supply a solution to a customer, a product, which was mostly built in hardware, you had to develop that product, qualify the design in terms of the specifications, build production lines to build it, and then eventually supply the customer with a completed design, completely designed product supported by a little bit of infrastructure that we call logistical support in terms of documents, uh, handbooks, uh, spare parts, lists, and training. In the development of a system that includes software, wetware, firmware, we find that the way in which these solutions are developed is actually impossible if you want to do it on that project planning method that we used previously, so-called the waterfall approach, where you had deliverables scheduled on a specific date to be qualified long before and then you start the production and you were as a company very sure that at that time point in time you would be able to deliver in a software based solution the agile way of developing this pro project applies it's the innovation of the developers and the engineers in developing this project in real time, working with objectives and goals that is really defined in the short term. You know about the scrum techniques of planning. It doesn't go beyond one week. But in this one week, this team will sit together and they will deliver on that specific requirement. So where Agile meets Waterfall, 
in our way of contracting because today we've still very much contract in the mode of the waterfall project plan. But lo and behold, at home, we develop our solutions in the agile way. And these two things doesn't talk. They do not talk to each other all that well. The implication is that the management of this institution, of this company, needs to find a way in designing, in understanding, and in planning the roadmap for the work that you're going to do, and get the understanding and acceptance of your customer that you are developing a project, you are developing a solution, and that solution will deliver value to him. But that value that he will receive cannot be very accurately time-scheduled. He must live with you and he must work with you and you do this development right in his face to make him accept that what you're doing is actually worth paying the money for that he's paying you. So it becomes a, an extremely close, uh, uncomfortably close relationship between your development group people and the customer on the others. And in between those, there's such your management team. So, those things that we held very dearly in the previous environment. Economy of scale, standardization, mass production, learning curves, time and motion studies, and many more of those holy grail paradigms to a large extent fell by the wayside. Benchmarking, which was quite a recently attractive thing. Uh, I can remember when I applied benchmarking very seriously to, uh, to do things. You know, it lost its attractiveness completely because if you follow benchmarks, then that is exactly what you are, a follower. And in this new environment, the concepts of followers, early followers, late followers, doesn't make any sense anymore. You either offer unique solutions to the market first, or you lost. And in many instances, your success actually depends on supplying the market with a solution that the market has not really asked for yet. To go and tell the market that this is a solution that you have not thought about before, but here it is, and this is how you apply it, and that is how you make sure that you are indeed first in the market. The old adage, if it's not broken, don't fix it. 
we all thought that was a good idea. It has become today that if it's not broken, break it. Induce early failures in development and fail as spectacularly as possible to get the failure mode and effect understood within the company. Spectacular failures do not go unnoticed in the company, and they bear much more fruit than mediocre performance. Our human endeavor is never perfect, except that failures will occur. This mindset fosters achievement in a high-risk environment because this is what it is. Businesses are operating in a high-risk environment if what I said up till now made sense to you. In the information-based era, there are no more blue-collar workers and white-collar workers. Teams consisting of specialists in the technology areas run the business, and the management hierarchy follows the paradigms of this complex hierarchical system, which is very similar to any other engineering system that you uh, could think of. And let me just remind you of a few of the attributes and the legalities, definitely not laws, legalities, that actually constitutes the paradigm of a hierarchical system. First of all, the hierarchy must be constructed with as few as possible tiers. You don't want a very deep hierarchy in, 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 in your organization. Secondly, for logical and obvious reasons, duplication between tiers and blind spots within tiers should be eliminated. The hierarchy is determined by workflow, that is the delegation of accountability which includes authority as well as responsibility to execute work, must follow a logical design process. Interfaces between these tiers must be kept as simple as possible because you want to alloc allocate these accountabilities very purely and very securely to a specific control volume, controlled volume of work that you want to do and the interfaces between these control volumes must be simple, almost like uh, a plug-in play and uh, a, a plug-in-play API in, 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 in your uh, design of, of, of a system. And then a last remark about the organizational hierarchy, that authority vests in the higher tier, but priority always vests in the lower tier. Activities in the lower tier must take priority because they have to be completed before you can effectively integrate it higher up in the hierarchy. So they must take priority. Let me touch upon the issues of strategy and, 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 and operations or strategy and tactics in, in business 
management. Start off by saying that traditionally, the concepts of strategic management and strategy, strategic planning was a very static process. You will recall the concepts of the strategic high ground. It was a positioning process. You define the high ground and then you go and you deploy yourself on the high ground and then you had strategic advantage over competitors, over uh, foes and whatever. I can assure you I took part in strategic planning in that mode where management teams went off into a boss barat or a think tank for a weekend and then we come back with this CEO on an ego trip of all the wonderful things that we've decided over the weekend and very seldomly any of those decisions got implemented. And the reason for that is clear to me, uh, to me today. The, the reason is because this process was so static that once you achieved that high ground, it was very easy to emulate. Anybody else, the moment you're visible on your high ground in your position, the next morning you find 10 other people occupying the same place. But mostly, it was so static that the solutions actually addressed the problems of the past rather than the problems of the future. So, what does strategic management come to today? How do you do it? First of all, you have to change that static concept of positioning to a much more dynamic concept of navigation. The leaders in the organization must understand where North is for that organization and must be capable of communicating that very clearly to everybody in the organization because that is the first condition to allow the organization to move forward to be dynamic while you are implementing your strategy. So navigating, and by the way, a good navigator doesn't argue with the rocks, he avoids them on his way uh, going north, and it becomes visible in the company that you're making progress in the right direction. Should you deviate, for some reason, maybe an obstacle in your way, it creates anxiety within the company. The moment you deviate from that direction that you took, everybody knows it immediately. And that anxiety is the energy that forces the corrective actions. Because now everybody is worried about what is happening, not only the CEO. And in the information-based information, uh, uh, operation, that is vitally important because you have to get every single resource effective and active every single minute of its application 
in achieving your objectives. You cannot allow people to drift around for weeks wondering what is happening. They must understand immediately the consequences of any change in the environment where they operate. So, technology also drives the operations. They also drive the technical side of your work. And because the fact that your strategic thinking is now so dynamic and you have to manage your operations also in a dynamic way, it's very difficult to distinguish between strategic planning and operational planning. It's one integrated planning effort in your operation. And you cannot divorce the one from the other because your operational, the drills that you do in doing a certain task in uh, your operation must be in line and must be supportive of propelling you in the right direction, taking you north, where the strategy implies that you will go. Let me, you must warn me if I'm overstepping time. Let me say a few words about technology, which I think is the main driver of, uh, of uh, this uh, revolution that we're experiencing. First of all, technology has a, an extremely short half-life. It varies from certain uh, areas to others, but uh, in general, I can say in the information-based society, the half-life of the total compound of technology is about five years, which is a mathematically correct expression that says in the period of five years, the sum of technology available to you will double. In certain specific areas, the half-life is less than a year, where technology is really exploding to the extent that we find it very hard to keep track on the research and development work uh, done on a global basis. Second point is, Technology vests in people, not in software, not in libraries, not in plant and equipment, not in any other place but in the human being. And the reason for that is actually locked up in the definition of technology, which says that Technology is knowledge of processes and standards <clears throat> that will allow you to predict the outcome of that specific process to a useful level of uh, a, a useful level or, 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 or a level that is credible. Now, the fact that technology is knowledge means you have to interpret means you have to put the human brain somewhere in this loop 
to actually be able to implement technology. This has implications in uh, the operations of a company today because it means that the most valuable asset on your balance sheet is actually the resources, the people you employ. Now, unfortunately, we cannot put those on the balance sheet. And unfortunately, uh, those are individuals where they have personal objectives and personal goals in life. And if you are not in a position to some extent match those individual goals with the company goals, then you find that you lose those assets very often. In the technology environment, which also exists in a hierarchy, a very simple three-tier hierarchy, existing of materials, energetics, and information. Quite a lot of development work is going on in each of those tiers. And I may say, people always make the mistake to think that the technology developed in the lower tier is not as important or as uh, impactful as the technology developed at the highest level, the information level. Let me just remind you of the development work that has been going on in microbiology and the understanding of material of human and other living organisms. That's material science. The decoding of the genomes of living organisms, which in effect was something similar to the periodic table of elements for the chemist, now in the hands of the biologist. He starts to understand the basic building blocks. And in fact, in a very short period of time, he has already succeeded not only in modification of living material, process that we know very well as genetic modification or manipulation, but he is already building organisms. He's building organs that is amazing to see to what extent that is already applicable in medical science. So those medics that I usually love to call panel beaters, they are turning into engineers now. They're starting to design and to develop. And that's the environment in which we live, and that's the place where technology doubles in less than a year now. And it is driven by the information technology made available to all those researchers to integrate the work of people done over the whole globe and to combine that effort into one objective to say, let's decipher, let's decode the human genome. 
And once that happened, and once the information systems and the communications and the command and control systems were set in place, it happened, and now it's almost normal run of the mill to do genetic uh, decoding. Technology on the energetics side is exciting. A lot of new developments in renewable energy, in nuclear energy, all the things that people like Elon Musk are talking about, it's exciting. It's however to my mind in the informatics sphere where we currently see the biggest impact on business. Information-based decision-making supported by machine learning gave rise to concepts such as distributed networks and power to the edge. Now both these concepts are military concepts. They derived from the capability to actually act over vast distances to execute military operations. Typically the type of thing where you sit in Washington and you do a drone attack in Afghanistan. Now how do you do that? You do that through a system of distributed networks and in a system where that centralized command and control has now been delegated to the individual flying this drone to make the attack. You scramble aircraft in a military zone. You give the commander of that flight in his head-up display the information relevant to his immediate environment and you delegate the authority to him to get the information in real time and to make the decision on how to apply that information at hand and execute a mission, do an attack, or withdraw, or does what he at that specific point sees as the most favorable outcome for his objective, for the task that he's been uh, delegated. Now, much of this is also deployed in organizational uh, structures and in organizational thinking today. To distribute information widely in the company in a distributed net as wide as is good within the levels of the delegation of authority that you give. And then to empower those people that receive that information on the basis of power to the edge so that they can act upon it. This is where the driving force comes from that says we do not distinguish all that clearly between blue-collar workers and white-collar workers anymore. Because what you now do is you put your best resource on the coalface 
and you empower him with the information there on site while he's busy doing his work to make the decisions. Now that shortens reaction time to market. That shortens effective dealings with customers. And that makes the company a very flat structure because you do not have to put into play all these centralized command and control red tape to execute the mission. What do we expect of the future? I think agility will beat size. I think that those people that move fast, agile, reaction to their environment, to specific requirements, is going to eat up and outsmart the big and more lethargic organizations. Mobility and agility will beat defense and will beat protection. Careful now not to misconstrue this statement as saying that big organizations can be good. But big organizations must be agile to be good. And in the words of uh, uh, Rosabeth Moss Cantor, who wrote the book, When Giants Learn to Dance, uh, I'm sure you've seen it, it's been around for quite a number of years, that was the implication of that already seen two decades ago by people who really gave attention to what is happening in this information-driven environment. When a giant, when a giant learns to dance, a good big one is better than a good small one. But you must have that agility. Knowledge is power. Nobody disputes this, but the technology revolution, the information revolution, really drove this home in a significant way. Business leaders found that knowledge of their environment and their own operations in real time is essential to be able to navigate strategically. Even more significant is the change brought about in governments, where meritocracy is already replacing some of the previously very well accepted principles of democracy. Governments increasingly understand that mindless fulfillment of often emotional political ballots may not yield the best results and must, may not be as good as decisions based upon intelligence. This seems to reaffirm the fact that consensus decision-making invariably produces less than optimum results and often comes too late to be effective. So, in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, it seems that the business landscape is following the trends set by the paradigms and the legalities derived from systems development in the information age. I trust that I did convince you 
the development and maintenance of businesses can deploy the same legalities and that you will be brave enough to go and try that. Thank you for your attention. Questions? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I agree that I'll take a question. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a question, really, it's just for discussion as well as you were talking about um, strategy and organizations that we need to navigate for. Um, surely then something like, I was just thinking of, just thinking that maybe using possible futures as a way to allow organizations to be more agile in terms of at least assessing where they are because they have looked at possible futures that allows them to navigate a little bit more uh, than yeah. currently. Uh, very good point. Uh, and, and, and the point made here is one about how do you decide where north is if you now want to navigate? And there are tools, very good tools, I did not uh, go into that detail of strategic planning of scenarios that you can build with assumptions as long as they're feasible and plausible and decide for yourself which one is the one that you would like to accept for your company and for your operation. Communicate that, understand what it takes, where North is, and go for it. And that's how you achieve those objectives. So this navigation concept is based upon the fact that you have to understand where, where you're going and what the future may hold. Now, for heaven's sake, we are not prophets. We cannot forecast the future. We cannot tell what's going to happen. But we can see pictures. And we can build paradigms, tell stories, because that's what the paradigm is. It's a good story, and if you heard it so many times, and if you saw the cause and effect of a paradigm, then it sticks and it becomes reality, and you derive from, those that, from there the legalities that you need to propel yourself in that direction. But it is a very good topic and uh, maybe subject matter for more than one discussion. And before you leave, uh, is a token of appreciation, some, oh, yeah. some wine and everything. It's not KWV wine, so yeah. Thank you very I, much. I love variety. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Fire ducky.